Well, I'll say, bless the Lord. If you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Good evening, Kairos. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here. We want to be the kind of people that can engage the whole person with the whole gospel anytime, anywhere, with anybody. Um, I got a quick update for you. For those of you who've been with us the last two weeks, um, we've been diligently praying for rain in South Africa uh, to help alleviate the water crisis. We got to visit with John Thomas um, and help take up an offering for them to be able to put a distribution center around their well. Um, and I am pleased to announce that after last week, we have raised in here for the Living Hope water crisis over $50,000 just from this room. Uh, amazing. I'm pleased to announce that the goal that John set for in his room here when he came and visited with us has now officially been met. And you guys gave over more than half of that. So I can't wait to hear stories about how God is using that. Continue, please, play for rain, physical, and also the rain of reconciliation for that country. Um, and then pray how God will continue to allow us to be involved in all that he's doing there. Um, I hope you had a good weekend. Um, I did not. Um, I decided I was going out of town to speak at an event, and I thought I would be dad of the year and take my two younger kids. I normally never take them. I take the two older ones because they're the easiest, and my wife is like, oh, thanks a lot. I'm like, you're welcome. It's what I do. I serve easy. So I take the two youngest ones. She actually looks at me on the door on the way out and says, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I do. Yeah, okay. Uh, she was right. I should not have done that. I'll spare you the details, but those two wound each other up like Tasmanian devils. Um, and it, I consistently said throughout the night in front of the pastor that was hosting us, the worship band, and numerous volunteers to my kids out loud, what are you thinking right now? Come here. What were you thinking? What were you thinking? Why did you do that? Right? And Although that, uh, that's a voice of deep shame from my past because I heard that a thousand times growing up. All of a sudden, I'm puking it out all over my kids. Um, it culminated in Christopher pooping his pants and Maggie breaking something and me just going, I don't know whose kids these are. <laughs> Some pastor needs to get his act together. Uh, has that ever been said to you? What were you thinking? Have you ever said that to your roommate? You ever said that to your siblings? You ever said that to a friend? You ever said that to someone who you just ended a relationship with? What were you thinking? Uh, it feels really good saying it to other people. It's a little bit more difficult when we have to ask ourselves that question. What was I thinking? Have you guys ever looked back at old photographs or phases that you went through or things that you bought and you're like, what was I thinking exactly there? Ain't that right, Bama Banks? You just you go through phases. Um, some of you look back at relationships. You're like, what was I thinking? Let me just delete all references to that on all social media that ever existed, and I hope no one can remember it the way I remember it. Decisions you've made, purchases, and what was I thinking? I want to use that question not as shame or guilt, but actually curiosity as we're in a series called Fault Lines, and we're trying to dig down into the primary places of sin and temptation and testing in our lives. And if we go back and we look over the pattern of our lives, chances are we'll see a theme that we're particularly prone 
to give in to temptation in a specific area or a specific set of circumstances. And I genuinely want to ask the Holy Spirit, what was I thinking? Because repentance is a different way of thinking and behaving. If we look back and go, before I repented of this, why was I thinking and behaving this way? Or even more difficult yet, I've repented and believed, but yet I'm still thinking and behaving the same way with the same sin. So I want us to think strategically and intentionally about where are the fault lines in our life that we're particularly prone to get trapped into temptation and sin with. Does that sound good? So last week we looked at Mark's gospel and a quick recap of the temptation of Jesus. This week we're going to go into Luke's account, which is much more detailed because he's a physician, detailed type guy, and it's delightful. And some of the obvious details that he gives us in this text are also wonderful. Um, You're going to see here that Jesus' public life is formed by his private life. Because who you are is more important than where you're going because who you are determines where you're going. And just as for a layer of context, tonight I'm going to try to be your teacher. So I'm going to give you some spiritual formation tools that I've learned that absolutely I love. um, And I want to ask the Holy Spirit to light up in your life clarity and confidence that you can not only resist temptation, but you can have the opportunity to obey when God decides to test you. So Jesus, stepping into temptation, just so we're aware, he's called the new Adam. God's recreating recreation through, in and through him. He's going to make all things new. So he's fully divine and fully human. And he is going to withstand temptation from the devil. And I believe that in the areas that he have, uh, is tempted, they are core to every human being. And usually one of us struggles with one of these areas more intensely than the others. So let's read this story together and then take a look at those core temptations. We'll be in Luke chapter 4, and I'll start in verse 1. Let me pray for us as you guys are turning there to Luke 4, starting in verse 1. Jesus, we, just, we, we don't need a talk on self-awareness. We need a, a talk on gospel awareness. And so would you help me? Would you give me the right amount of words um, and discernment necessary? I pray that your Holy Spirit would use your scripture to pierce our hearts. I pray for incredible clarity and aha moments that reveal the root causes of sin and temptation in our life. Because we're sick of just trimming the weeds. We want to pull it up by the roots and we want deep hope and we want deep healing. So Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them... He was hungry. Thank you, Dr. Luke. (laughs) Don't have a medical degree, but could have inferred that, but uh, that's great. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world 
And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift, up, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Three primary places of temptation. We're going to attach the names appetite, ambition, and approval. And here's what I need to tell you before we jump into this. This is an incredible teaching that I learned from someone else. So Dave Rhodes, a buddy of mine who we've done life and ministry to for a number of years. Um, he's partnered with a guy named Will Mancini. They do a gospel-centered life planning process, and part of that is interpreting your story. So I got to fly out to Colorado and spend four intense days drilling down into that. This is one of the tools that they use and one of the texts that they use, and it's awesome. Also before that, Rhodes was with an organization called 3DM and a guy named Mike Breen, and they had a strategic approach to discipling. I went through that process for about two years. This was also a text um, and a tool that they use frequently in trying to discern your primary areas of temptation. So the unique process calls it uh, life drifts. We're calling it fault lines. The reason I take all that time to tell you that is because there was someone who taught me that and they deserve to be acknowledged. And we live in a day and age where a lot of times someone who gets up on a stage, it's real easy for me to try to impress you with all the things that I've originally come up with. It's not true in this case. I'm teaching you some of the things that I've been taught that are absolutely wonderful. Now I've spent a lot of time with it and I've added some original content. But if you want to know the difference, if it's good and awesome, God is using it, it's theirs. If it's kind of trite and wishy-washy, then that's my stuff, and you're welcome. I'll take all the credit for that. Appetite is the first one. Jesus is hungry, and if you'll notice, it's not just an attack on his behavior. It's an attack on his identity. Why? If you are the Son of God, prove it. Turn these stones into bread. should be simple for the Son of God, right? Show off a little bit. I need to see that you are who you say you are. But I have a question for the text, and that is, would it be so wrong if Jesus did that? I mean, what's wrong with him using his God-given power and his God-given resources to satisfy his God-given appetite? He's fully human, so he's hungry. God gave us appetite, by the way, in the garden, so he's given all of us appetites for food and drink, love and sex, Shelter and safety, is it so wrong that we actually use what's in our power and our resources to satisfy the desires that God has given us? Well, I think the question that Satan is giving us and giving Jesus is, do I really trust God to meet my needs, satisfy my desires, and wait on him to give what is good? I think the temptation here for Jesus and for us is to satisfy our desires and appetites when, where, and how we please, regardless of what he's instructed us to do, where the appetites become the God, and he becomes subservient 
to us satisfying those appetites and desires. This is what I believe is at the heart of addiction. One of the definitions I use for addiction is I control the timetable and the portions on what I want to appease my appetites. That control is incredibly addictive. Why be dependent on someone else or somebody else to meet my needs when I need them met? In addiction, I control the timetable and the portions to meet my desires or to numb my pain. Dan Allender says this, sadly, some people assume addictions are the domain of the undisciplined or the socioeconomically deprived. Such an assumption, of course, never looks below the surface at our craven idolatries of consumerism, greed, codependency, schedule obsession, and mania with power and reputation. Addiction touches us all. Welcome, room full of addicts. My name is Chris. Oh, I mean, I don't know. That's what they say. I've just been told by a friend who goes on Tuesday. Rick Yancey says this in the Isle of Blood, show me a man who cannot control his appetites and I will show you a man living underneath a death sentence. Jesus responds to Satan, man shall not live by bread alone. He decides not to meet a legitimate need through an illegitimate means. He decides to trust God to meet his needs while his appetite goes unmet. Second one is ambition. Uh, Thomas Merton said this about ambition and temptation. The greatest temptations are not those that solicit our consent to obvious sin, but those that offer us great evils, masking as the greatest goods. Jesus is taken to a place where Satan decides to offer him all the kings and kingdoms of this earth. Um, This is actually part of his divine goal. If we will read in scripture, we will discover that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that from every tribe, tongue, and nation, Jesus is to gather a people that worship um, and serve God and acknowledge him as Savior and Lord of the universe. Satan is getting in on a God-given goal and trying to help him accomplish it in a not-God-given way. So I think the... What we need to remember is for those of us who are Christians in this room, all of us carry a holy ambition. Scripture has text after text after text that says, you've been given good works to do, you've been given specific identity, you've been given gifts, passions, abilities, personalities, and a unique story, all so that you can bring hope and healing into this world in a special, unique way, specifically designed for you at this time. All of us have that. But the temptation and the question comes in when Satan begins to ask us with ambition, go ahead and accomplish these things on your own strength, in your own ways, in your own timing, for your own glory. Or better yet, maybe for Jesus, he says, it's okay to accomplish God's mission, just do it with my strategy. He's basically saying, I'll give you what God wants, except I'm going to remove the suffering and sacrifice required to get it accomplished. Watch out for that one. Hey, you can do this. You can get the kingdom without the cross. But the way of the kingdom is always you go down to go up, you serve to lead, and you die to live. And so Jesus responds, worship the Lord your God and serve 
him only. Approval is the last one. We step in, and again, Margaret Thatcher is going to help us frame this. She says this, if you set out just to be liked, you will be prepared to compromise anything at any time, and you will achieve nothing. Thank you for that British piece of intelligence. The devil creates a scenario where he takes Jesus up onto a temple, and literally the temple would be where heaven was supposed to meet earth, and tells him, jump, Jesus, jump. It's picked up on Jesus' tactic. He's quoting scripture. So Satan goes in and starts to quote some scripture. Hey, God's not going to let anything bad happen to his anointed one. So jump down in front of all the religious leaders, in front of all the people, and perhaps some Roman officials sticking by. Make a big splash. The question is, are you sure you really want to trust God and trust these people with your approval? Why not go ahead and do something that guarantees that everyone will see and confess you as the son of God. The temptation is, why even bother? Why wonder? Why go through all those people doubting, questioning, rejecting, hating, and eventually killing you? Make a big splash, and everyone will know that you have God's approval because he's rescued you, and then you'll have man's approval. You don't have to pick between the two. And Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So tonight I want us to think about which is my primary area of temptation. As we talk through this, we use the three words, appetite, ambition, and approval. All the ways in which Jesus was tested and tempted and all the ways that we as humanity are most likely to succumb to. So let's see if this is helpful. When we're dealing with appetite, the question that Satan often poses to us, and by the way, he likes to come in with a question. That's what he did to Adam and Eve. Are you sure this is what God said? Um, and he kind of customizes it and tailors it to each individual, I'd like to think. But he's just basically saying, when it comes to your appetites, why wrestle? They're going to win. Go ahead and give in. Why bother with all this struggling? Just go ahead and satisfy those things. No one has to know, or it's not that big a deal. The temptation is take it now, or you'll never Get it. This is a kingdom of scarcity that says if I don't grab what I can while I can and push other people out of the way, then I'll never have what I want. When the kingdom says, I got five loaves and two fish, and I'm willing to go hungry for other people to eat, and then you turn around, you got 12 baskets full. Ambition has the question, why worship God? Because if you worship God, that comes with doing things in his ways and in his timing, and chances are it'll never come to pass, and it's not going to come quickly enough. So why don't you worship yourself or worship the ways in which Satan does things, which is abusing people and power 
to get what he wants and when he wants it. This is pretty dangerous also in Christian circles because we're not immune to this happening, are we? So why worship God? Temptation here is make it happen. Or it will never happen. Or you'll never happen. You see an opening, and it doesn't matter if it's a little bit of a compromise or it steps on someone. All that matters for you is you've got to make it happen in your own strength, your own timing, your own power. And then all of a sudden, you step into the spotlight and realize it's your own glory that you were after all along. Approval has the question, hey, why wonder if you've really got God's approval or man's approval? And if you're faced with a decision, go ahead and go for man's because you can't really see God or ever really know that you're fully approved by him. You're really sure you're his son or his daughter? Why even bother wondering? Why wonder what other people think about you when you can manipulate their perception of you? So the big temptation here is Fake it, and you can fix it later. As I walk into this circle, or I walk into my job, or I walk into this network, and I realize what the expectation is, regardless of whether or not it compromises who I am, or if I'm really that person anyway, I can fake it, and I can fix it later. Let me go ahead and win your approval, and I'll apologize later that it wasn't actually me. What this leads to is the imposter syndrome where you just are always scared. People are going to find out I'm a phony. And it also leads to self-hatred because you've worked so hard for other people's approval. And if you had to work that hard, they really must not love you or like you that much at all. So which one is your go-to fault line? Is it appetite? Is it ambition? Or is it approval? What we're really after with the appetite is the wow moment. Wow, that tastes good. Wow, that felt good. Wow, I can't believe I didn't learn this before. Unless you know this, you, you, you can't possibly understand. You want the wow factor. If it's ambition, you want the win at all costs. Doesn't care who you kill in the process. It doesn't care who you leave with heat exhaustion on the side of a mountain. You don't care as long as you get to the top first. That's what you want. You want the win. And if you want approval, it's all about worth. You will go to anybody and anything that communicates value and worth to you. But what does the gospel say about this? The gospel says, those that wait upon the Lord shall be saved. And that all of his promises are trustworthy and true. And that because of Jesus, we can have the wow factor. That he'll satisfy us with good things. This is reminiscent, by the way, of Israel in the desert. And Jesus is back in the desert. And he provides for, or God provides for them with manna. Manna, loosely translated in Hebrew, is what's this? Really loosely translated, it could be called wow. I can't believe God provided this way. Jesus, I can't believe God provided this way. He provided a sinless son of God to make a way that I could be recreated in his image and have a long-lasting relationship and live and reign with him in eternity. Wow! 
taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus became the bread of life so that we could truly be sustained. You're after the wind. Jesus got it. He's defeated sin and death and Satan on the cross by the power of his blood and his resurrection. He's won victory in Jesus. Praise his name forever. And if you're after worth, oh my goodness, God conferred his worth on Jesus. This is my beloved son and who I'm well pleased. And because of his life, death, and resurrection, he's invited you and I into this. That our righteousness can come from him. We get to be the righteousness of God because of Jesus. I don't know how much more worthy you can get in the eyes of God because of that. You're created in his image and you're infinitely worth, worthy and valuable. So, can you wait for the wow, the win, and the worth to be fully supplied by Jesus? But this last word of warning as we journey into that, you may be realizing that that's going to cause you to wonder more, to worship more, and to wrestle more. Also that you can step into God's preferred future for you because of Jesus. Amen? So here's what I want us to do for 120 seconds. I just want you to process this. We'll actually put a, a graphic up on the board that is, has a lot better writing and less lines than me. And just find where you're at. Ask the Holy Spirit. Hey, what's my primary fault line? As you start to play back some of the chapters and pages of your life, what are you most prone to? What has God given you an incredible desire and appetite for to get your needs met from him, but you learned how to satisfy it somewhere else? You learned how to feast on things that just made you more hungry and never truly satisfied. And when you find that one, Take it to the cross and take it to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm willing to wait on you, your ways, your will, and your timing. Let's listen together.